Good morning, everyone. Ruth did say about the weather, and perhaps if you needed to just take a moment, but please don't all do that. (laughs) Otherwise, uh, that won't do my self-esteem or confidence any good. Uh, This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Nehemiah, focusing in on Nehemiah chapter 6 and a little bit of chapter 7. And I've called this talk this morning, The Focus Required to Finish, a reflection on Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to ask you to picture the scene, and it won't be too difficult because of the weather. You're reclining back on a comfy sun lounger. As you put your hand down, you feel the touch of the warm golden sand. You sip an iced beverage, and the sea laps gently against your Your mind is at peace. There is no thoughts of emails or rotors or DIY projects. You are totally relaxed. And then, like a grain of sand, a thought comes into your mind. Did I put out the right bins? (laughs) Did I switch off the obscure switch in the utility room that turns the power to the tumble dryer and the washing machine off? Did I actually send the email that I put in my draft to the boss before I left on the hectic last day of work before the holiday? Are the children prepared for their test when we get back? I wonder how the team got on with their sales pitch to the new client. And within a moment, your mind is turned back to the busyness of life. And you sit up and you just want to get home and get on. We're a contrary bunch as people, aren't we? When we're busy, we want rest. And when we're restful, we seek to busy ourselves. And often when we need to be at our most focused, we can become distracted. Let's see this morning how Nehemiah deals with those distractions. And I'll ask Katie to come up and read our Bible passage this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. Further opposition to the rebuilding. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates... Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah... Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. 
Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realised that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So, the wall was completed on the 25th of El in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehoahan had married the daughter of Meshalam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me good, his good deeds, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanai, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials and the common people for registration by families. Thank you, Katie. About 10 years ago, I made a serious error of judgment. I decided to take up running. I went out and I bought myself some half-decent running shoes, a watch that could give me the splits and the distance, and I set about taking it nice and slow at first. I was very sensible. A kilometre here and there, until eventually I could build up to running 5k without it feeling like my leg muscles were going to explode. And then I made another serious error of judgment. I listened to a running buddy who advised me that to keep up my motivation, I should take part in a fun run. Now, many of you are sitting here thinking that those two words should never coexist in a sentence. (laughs) And on this particular occasion, you would be right. I entered myself into a 10K 
run at the Queen Elizabeth Park in Stratford with the last part of the, of the race or the run ending on the Olympic track. So it's a pretty big deal. I was really, really excited. And I've been preparing for this for quite a while. And I had in my mind that I wanted to run this race in about 50 minutes, which is a half-decent time, not too quick, not too slow, but it was going to be a little bit of a challenge. And at these kind of events, what you have, you have certain individuals within the race that they are, they're decent runners, and they are really good at running a time. So they'll have this kind of big sign attached to their back with a time on, and you can kind of try to keep pace with that person so as we got to the start line of this race, I was looking out for the guy with a big yellow sign that had 50 on the back. I positioned myself about 20 metres or so back and thought, right, I'm just going to set my sights on this chap and just keep going. Just as we were about to start, I caught a glimpse over in the corner of my eye at the starting line. They had this podium and a, a famous athlete had got up to say some words to the crowd before the race started. And I was like, who is this person I wanted to see? So I started to kind of bust my way through, move around, move around. And I found myself at the very start of the starter's tape. Bear in mind, this was the first run I'd ever done, like, officially. I was at the start, and I was looking up at this 500-metre runner who was saying to the crowd, it's a really warm day, no personal best, please, just enjoy. So clearly I took notice of this. The gun went and off we went. After the first kilometre, I was in third place. (laughs) I had run that kilometre quicker than my PB 800 metres in my teens at school. And I was loving life. Until we got to the third kilometre, which began to go uphill. Now, as I said, I've been practising. I knew what a 10k felt like. I knew how my body should feel at different parts of the race. And at three kilometres, this was not how my body should be feeling. At four kilometres, the chap with the big yellow sign with 50 on the back went past me, and it felt like everyone else in the race started to go past me. Katie, the girls, and my mum had come up for the day because it was in London, it was going to be fun. They were in the stadium. As I entered the stadium, I caught sight of Katie. She shouted out, how are you doing? I looked back and I couldn't speak. I was done. I finished that race 15 minutes slower than I wanted. I was a heap on the floor. I had finished, but I'd lost all sense of satisfaction. I'd lost all focus. It was not a good experience. And in our Bible passage today, we see Nehemiah nearly at the end. The last stones are about to be placed. The wall is about to be completed. And Nehemiah had been on quite a journey. Historically speaking, he appears in what's referred to as the second temple era of Jewish history. The Jewish people have been exiled to Babylon. Babylon had been conquered by Syrians. And King Cyrus had decreed that the Jewish people could return home. It didn't just happen like that. Over a 100 years, three waves of the population returned to the city. The first was with Ezra, who was a scribe. And the task was to teach the people 
about the word of God and God's laws and decrees. The second wave, quite possibly the best name in the Bible, Zerubbabel. I have to think he'd have been better doing the wall. But anyway, (laughs) Zerubbabel, his task was to reinstate the priesthood. So a worship focus. A learning focus, a worship focus. And then Nehemiah was to return with the third and final wave to restore the walls, to put in the literal foundations, but also prepare the symbolic foundations for the nation of Judah and the way in which they should relate to God. And in this passage, we can think of it as being the distractions and the responses of Nehemiah. On four occasions, Nehemiah receives what can only be described as passive-aggressive Facebook posts from the nearby neighbours who were the governors of the local surrounding nations. And at first, their message seems polite. Come and join us so we can talk together. They appeal to Nehemiah's pride The local leaders want to meet with me. I should go and meet with them. They appealed to Nehemiah's political thinking. If I meet with these people, we could set up trade. It could be really good for the economy and prosperity of the city. But Nehemiah doesn't respond to their passive-aggressive messages. Instead, he says this in verse 3. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? This would have been a literal going down from the city which was set up on the hill. But it would also have been a going down a stepping down to their level. And Nehemiah saw straight through it. He wasn't going to let pride or political property or gain get in the way. He was determined and resolute to finish the task. The fifth message comes in, and this is now like an angry Donald Trump tweet. We've gone from nicey-nice to you're building the walls so that you can revolt against us. Come and speak to us to clear this up. Blatant lies and accusation of what Nehemiah and the people were actually doing. And in this part, we get some of the best responses to this that I've ever read in the Bible. Verse 6, it's reported among the nation, and Geshem says it's true. It's a bit like a kind of a playground spat, isn't it? Oh, Steve says it's true as well, that you are plotting to revolt, and that's why you're building the walls. But Nehemiah sent this reply, nothing like what you say is true. He meets lies with truth. You are just making up out of your head. That's great. Use that phrase the next time someone lies to you and you give them back the truth. You're making it up 
out of your head. So we've had outright lies. And when people lie, it can make us angry, can't it? There was every reason for Nehemiah to get angry, frustrated. I'm going to sort these people out. Who do they think they are putting me and the people down? We are building this wall for good and noble purposes, not because we want to revolt. But he doesn't step down to their level. And then the distraction ramps up again. This time, someone that Nehemiah knows tries to entice him. He's paid off as an assassin to get Nehemiah into the temple so that he can kill him there and then. Come with me, Nehemiah. You're getting all of these threats, all of these lies, all of this accusation. Withdraw to the temple where it's safe and we can hide out there together. How does Nehemiah respond to this possible distraction? Well, Nehemiah knows the laws. He knows the law of God. He knows that it's not his place to enter that part of the temple. And so he simply says, I will not go with you. And prays for the Lord to strengthen his hand. Now that's not just like a literal strengthening of the hands that he can put on that last piece of the wall. It is a strengthening of his resolution to complete this task. And in verse 16 we read, after Nehemiah has rejected all of those distractions. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of God. How is Nehemiah able to do this? How is Nehemiah able to respond and to ignore the distractions? Well, we get a little clue in verse 5 of chapter 7 where we read this phrase that, can easily be overlooked. And it reads, So my God put it into my heart. Now when we read and hear the word heart, we may think of kind of emotion or of feeling and of relationship. But actually at the time in Hebrew thought, the word heart was used to describe the whole of life, the whole person. It was the spiritual aspect of Nehemiah's life. It was the deeds and the things he did with his body and the words he said. And it was the thought, his intellect, his knowledge and understanding of God. So my God put it into my heart. He could reject distraction because of right relationship with God through the spiritual disciplines of prayer. We've already learned about Nehemiah in in the first part of this series that before he even asked to go back to to Jerusalem to continue the work, he prayed and fasted for four months. He was in right relationship with God spiritually. His actions were right and just. We've read in the chapters just before this about him rejecting the evil that was going on, responding to the injustice with mercy and with justice. So his spiritual life was right. The actions were right. And he knew the laws of God. His intellect and his thought was also correct. Nehemiah knew his purpose. 
He had found and had accepted the vision given to him by God. And he was resolute to finish. And he did it. The wall was finished. But what does this mean for us as individuals? What does this mean for us as a church? Often in our early Christian life, we can be consumed with trying to find the purpose of our life with God. What is God calling me to do? And for some, that can be really clear. We've heard testimony after testimony on this very platform of people given a clear and purposeful vision. But for some of us, it might occasionally feel like, well, I've not heard a clear and purposeful vision. God hasn't told me to rebuild this wall or go to this place. Now, it doesn't mean any of that is wrong or incorrect, but it can sometimes leave us feeling a little bit frustrated or a little bit unsure of ourselves, and we can seek prayer, and we can read the Bible, and we can talk to people about this, eagerly, desperately searching for our purpose. What I'd actually like to argue that our purpose can be quite simple, yet very profound. Uh, it's, not on, it's not on the screen here. But if you go onto the church website, or if you look at the screen at the beginning of the service, or if you look at our bulletin sheet, you'll notice a line underneath where it says Biblically Baptist Church. Does anyone know what that line says? Can anyone remember what that says? To know Jesus and to make him known. A, a strap line, a vision statement, a goal, whatever you like to call it. But a, a simple yet profound phrase, to know Jesus and to make him known. If ever you are struggling with finding your purpose and calling in life, I urge you to go with that phrase. But it's not difficult because it, it is, sorry, it is very, it is difficult because it comes at a cost. In order to do that, we need to be in relationship with God. We need to know God. We need to be right in our hearts, spiritually, in the words and the deeds that we say, and in our thoughts and with our intellect. To put it another way, it was once told that many years ago, there lived a young and gifted woman whose name was Sophia and Sophia received a vision from God in the form of a dream and in this dream God told Sophia that he wanted her to devote her life to the translation and the distribution of the word of God. At this time the printing press had only just been invented and in her country the only Bibles were locked away in churches and written in Latin. Common folk didn't have any access. So Sophia took this vision to heart. She lived in a farm just outside of the city, and there was no way that she was going to be able to afford this project. She would have to buy a building. She would have to employ scribes. She would have to employ, employ translators and distributors. It would cost a fortune. She wouldn't be able to do it on the wage that she was on. So she left her home and she went into the city... And through 15 years of toil and work, she built up enough money to begin the project. But at that very moment, news reached the city of a nearby town that had had a terrible, terrible flood. 
Life was lost. Livelihoods were lost. Sophia got up, took her savings, went to the town and spent that money on helping people rebuild their lives and only returned when she knew that the work was done. But when she returned, she had more passion and vigour for her vision to translate and distribute the word of God. So again, she set about raising the funds. Nine years passed and she was just about to be at the point at which she could start her project when again tragedy struck. In a nearby village, a plague ripped through the villages. On hearing this news, Sophia got up, took her savings and went to that place. She spent her money on medicines and on land to bury the dead with the dignity that they deserved. When the work was finished, she went back to the city. Now as an old lady, she still had that vision in her heart of translating and distributing the word of God. So she set about saving again. And after eight years, she had the money. By this point, she was old and frail and unwell. But she set about completing the task. And she did it. The printing press of the Bibles, it happened. Distributing and thousands and thousands of people in this country received the Bible. Sophia died. And when people spoke at her funeral, they said that in her life, she had completed her life's work on three occasions. The first two times being far more beautiful than the third. Our words and our actions take on a life of their own the moment they are ushered or completed. Like a fossil that leaves an imprint of an animal from many years gone by. The deeds and the things that we do can leave an imprint on those around us. My hope and my prayer is that as individuals and as a church, like Nehemiah, we seek to act out of right relationship with God, immersed in prayer, word and deed, so that God can put it in our hearts. And ultimately, that should help us to have the focus we need to finish well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage of scripture in which we see the way that Nehemiah responds to the distractions of the day. He responds because he knows you. He responds because you have put in his heart a vision. Lord, help us to receive that vision of knowing you and making you known. Help us to live lives that are spiritually right with you, where our actions and deeds are right with you, where our thoughts and our intellects are right with you and with your words. Father, help us to live this out in our lives so that we may be transformed and that we may also be a transforming presence in all of the places that we go in our day to day. Help us, Lord, I pray.
Amen.